Lift off. Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Archangels, Ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my, it's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others, here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and it is June. Oh, my goodness. Time is flying. It is June 7th, 2023. And, PK, you're here with us tonight, thank goodness, all the way from Tucson. And we have a fabulous show and an incredible guest. We're so happy to have him here We have Dr. William Fortune. He is here with us today, and we have a bit of an unusual subject for us, but it is an important one. It's all about EMPs. We need to be informed, and Dr. Fortune is the man to speak with about this. So we're going to bring him on in just a few minutes. But, PK, what do you have for us tonight? Well, because the fact that this is a four-universal month, and June deals with health, it deals with details of things, but the four strongly deals with following rules and not trying to take shortcuts because it's going to be very necessary to follow the rules at this time because the consequences we're going to find are going to be costly for the emotions as well as the finances. So the four directions to try and reorganize and make our issues more efficient daily, money may appear to be tight, and it will, you can save where you can because you're going to need it in the future. But remember that shortcuts do cause us to have to review and redo if not careful. Please follow through because the getting angry is going to accomplish nothing. Hard work is always required when the four is around. Taking a good look at our health is definitely required. And know that I don't care if you've got 50 cents in your hand or $50 in your hand. You're going to feel broke. Just the nature of the beast. So take care where you can. Stay in balance the best you can. And watch that anger because I'm going to use the phrase, people have a, are going to have a tendency to be somewhat, I'll call it flash mad. They get mad and it's equally gone as quickly, but it does put the blood pressure way out of whack. So just something hmm. to think about. That's a lot to think about. Well, thank you for taking a look at that for us. Yes. Well, and I wanted to share something tonight, you know, this new revelation that came out about the government having an actual UFO retrieval group. We knew this. This is not news to us. We've been involved in this for over 30 years. And it's a subject that we have followed. We've brought some of the best people in the world onto the show to talk about UFOs and abductions, etc., But I have to say, the real heroes in this are not these whistleblowers coming forward. The heroes, to me, are the abductees that came forward years ago 
I'm talking mm-hmm. about Betty Andreas and Luca. I'm talking about Bob Luca. I'm talking about Betty and Barney Hill, Travis Walton, Whitley Stryber. We've had them all on the show, except for Betty mm-hmm. and Barney passed away. But I knew Betty. And, again, those are the people who spoke out when it wasn't cool to speak out. And they stood by their, their experiences and said, this is what happened. And they faced all kinds of ridicule and all kinds of finger-pointing and the government did what it could to basically harass them. And Bob Luca has a great story to tell. You know, he's been on the show several times talking about what happened to them after their book came out, The Andreasen Affair. Mm-hmm. So those are the heroes to me. And I think everybody in our audience understands why I'm saying that. There are so many people speaking out now, I'm not sure who they really are. I think it's great if they're on the level and they're sharing good information. But we knew they had retrieval crews. And we mm-hmm. know a lot that has not been discussed, and we've been told that the government is absolutely refusing to discuss the abduction side of this. So, anyways, we know what's going on, and that's why we continue to bring you the best experts and experiencers that we trust and we know to the show. We're going to continue to do that for you. So tonight, we have the best expert on something that has really been troubling us, maybe you too, but he's going to give us the lowdown on EMPs, EMP strikes. And I'm going to tell you about him. He's really a special person very, very intelligent and an expert in this field, Dr. William R. Fortune. Now, he's a New York Times bestselling author and a professor of history at Montreat College in Montreat, North Carolina. He holds a doctoral degree from Purdue University with a specialization in military history and technology. And he is the author of more than 50 books, including the One Second After series, that details the realistic effects of an EMP strike. And the one we're talking about tonight, the book that we really loved and hope you will also get a chance to read, is called Five Years After. Now, also, Dr. Fortune is a noted expert historian and public speaker. He's been interviewed on Fox News, C-SPAN, and many others on topics ranging from history to technology and cultural issues, to space technology development, to security threats. He is the man tonight. Dr. Fortune, welcome to the show. Uh, Good evening. Great to be with you. And I understand you're in Massachusetts, so how much uh, uh, smoke do you have up there this evening? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm scared to go outside. (laughs) Does that tell you anything? (laughs) I am (laughs) It's really bad here. It's unfortunate uh, that all of this, apparently all of Canada is on fire. But I'll tell you what concerns me. We in the United States have offered help to put these these forest fires out, and Canada's refusing mm-hmm. our help. What do you make of that? Uh, the Canadian government? Well, no comment, okay? <laughs> uh, I, I think they are. Okay. That's better than all. Yeah, yeah that's well, you have smoke down there too. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's uh, pretty smoky out, and I'm feeling a bit scratchy in the eyes and slightly asthmatic tonight. So, yeah. Oh, gosh. It's been so. It's horrible. I have never seen the skies look like this in Massachusetts. It, it is pretty horrific. So I hope this uh, this is over soon for everyone's sake, and especially the people you mentioned that you got asthmatic over this. So many people that have COPD and other challenges with breathing normally, and here is very toxic air coming our way. So, yeah, let's hope this is comes to an end soon. So, yeah. Dr. Fortune, this this subject is so troubling, and yet you are an expert on this. So maybe we should start this way. Can you tell our audience what is an EMP strike? Okay, good place to start. EMP uh, stands for electromagnetic pulse weapons. Electromagnetic pulse is generated by detonating a small Mm -hmm. nuclear weapon above the Earth's atmosphere, about 200 miles up. It sets up an electrostatic discharge that's known as the Compton, C-O-M-P-T-O-N, the Compton effect, that cascades down to the Earth's surface, sets up an overload through our electrical grid through all the wiring, which become antennas, and it starts shorting our system out. Uh, Worst case scenario, if somebody like North Korea would place three, three nuclear weapons over the United States and detonate them, Eastern United States, Central United States, Western United States, the entire grid is going to go offline within a matter of seconds, and it will not come back on. It's been permanently destroyed, actually. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, that's permanent. That's no way it's coming back. Yeah, you know, Hollywood always seems to get it wrong, where, okay, we'll set off the EMP, it'll last 30 seconds, and everything comes back to normal after we rob the bank. Not true. The, what, it short out the high tension lines, which actually will fry off and drop, and feed into the electrical grid systems and short them out. The bad news in all of this is, according to several congressional studies, the aftermath of such an event, five years later, 80% of our grid would still be offline. That's Ooh, five years Lord. later. And the casualty rate could go as high as 90% within a year or two. That's 90% of all Americans. We don't realize that, Mm -hmm. you know, we we do realize in a way electricity is the fundamental building block of our society. Pull that out, everything else starts to collapse. Food distribution, water, medication, command and control, they all go offline. This is more than spooky. I mean, this is this is going to keep me up tonight. I have to say, yes, yeah. I didn't realize yeah. that once it was fried the the way you describe uh, this kind of attack, mm-hmm. that it's gone for good. I mean, that's huge. That it's gone for good. I mean, that's just sinking in right now. Well, one of my big frustrations in dealing with this, and I've been dealing with it for fifteen years is that the key components in our grid, particularly things like transformers and such, the ones you see right down in your power station, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the substation three, where do you think all those components are now manufactured? Take a guess. China. Exactly. Farmed out, 
are all those key components for our electrical grid. We formed out the manufacturing 30-odd years ago. Maybe a comparison this way. It's, we're at the position equivalently that it was December, back to December 7th, 1941. If that evening the president's meeting with his advisors and one of them stands up and says, Mr. President, we have a problem. All our aircraft carriers are made in Japan. All our planes are made in Germany. Now what the hell do we do? That's the situation we're in now. The components are not being manufactured in the United States in a logical manner. They're not being stockpiled. Average major transformer can take up to two years from the time we realize we need a replacement until the new component comes in from China. It's a a terrible, frightening situation. Now, have you testified... How have we allowed this to take place? Or I should How say, we why? Decades of neglect. Uh, when we saw the Rust Belt collapse in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, where mm-hmm. all sorts of major manufacturing, steel, automobiles, everything else, we started farming it out to other countries. And America lacks the industrial base it once had. You know, the nuts and bolts of basic things that we need are no longer manufactured here. We just ship them all in through China, and we send the money back out. That's not a situation that's sustainable forever. Sooner or later, there's going to be a reckoning. Now, have you testified before Congress or anybody uh, to try to wake up these sleeping idiots that are supposed to be caretakers of this? Yeah, I've uh, testified before a couple of uh, statewide legislative committees, and it was frustrating. When I did North Carolina about five or six years back, uh, the Duke Energy people were there, but they were saying, ah, the guy's a science fiction writer. Don't worry about it. Mm -hmm. Ah. Duke is Uh, this weekend, I'm going down to Charleston to talk to this South Carolina Energy Consortium. On a state level, things are finally happening, but on the federal level, zero. We have mm. we have a trillion-dollar green energy bill, but we don't have, as part of that bill, let's rebuild our electrical system because the average component in our system is 40 to 50 years old. These old transformers... Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, especially for something as fundamental as electricity. We don't have the depth and an infrastructure that we should have to survive something. Mm. Is there anything okay. that we can do as just citizens of this uh, country that is being totally misled, in our opinion, um, along so many lines? Is there anything that citizens can do to help to, like, raise awareness or start putting pressure on some of these these people that are supposed to be doing their job and taking care of these things? Well, my mentor in all this, I called him my guru, my mentor, was Dr. Peter Pry, who as early as the 1990s was working on this issue. Peter passed away about four months ago, much lamented. Oh. 
because Mm. he kept pushing. He managed to help get two, three bills before Congress, but they were all voted down when they were in committee. Mikowski was a big uh, terror on those things. So I urge people, start in your home. Every home should have a month or two of emergency supplies on hand, and it's Mm. not like you're a prepper and spending a lot of money. Just if you have nothing, next time you go to the market, pick up about 20 bucks worth of canned food. Stick it in the closet for for water. Empty out two-liter soda bottles, fill them up with water, put them in the closet, or buy a couple cases of water. Buy a very simple water purifier for 25 or 30 bucks at Walmart or a camping store. Right there, you're ahead of the game as far as everybody else goes. On a political level, I urge people work on the state level because your state reps are a heck of a lot more responsive than the blankety blank so and so who currently occupy, you know, Congress. Yes, we agree. We've seen nothing regarding uh, federal activity since the current administration came in. Yeah. We're not surprised. I mean, I we sit here and talk about this together with other guests, too. I mean, it's just that um, there's nothing being done that makes any sense to help this country. We see billions of dollars going overseas for God knows what, and nothing mm-hmm. here to take care of things at hand. So it's on purpose. I don't believe anybody's that stupid. I think it's totally on purpose. But it's a, it's good advice that you're giving us tonight. Thank you for preparing well, as best we can. The frustration for me is that the previous, okay, we'll have to talk politics for a minute. The previous administration, Trump, shortly before the end of his term, he mandated the DOD, DOE, all the other agencies to put together a comprehensive report to be submitted to the White House, I believe it was three months after the election, so it would have been April 2021, of what needs to be done and then use that to create the bills necessary to get the funding. Well, guess what happened on the day Biden became president? He killed it. He killed it. Don't bother with the report. Now, we go on then to mandate a trillion-dollar green energy bill, but I've read through it. There's nothing in there about let's replace basic components, and secondly, why don't we start creating a strategic stockpile around the country of key components that if we do get shorted off in an EMP or another one that were a coronal mass ejection, a major solar storm, that we can rebuild quickly. We don't have the spare parts in place. Nothing in the current spending bills allow for that. That's awful. Even even at our level, like I live up in the the, uh, Berkshire area, of Massachusetts, the wiring mm-hmm. here, even for our electricity and our telephones, whatever, it's antiquated. And yes. we have a system that tells us when there's a momentary outage. And mm-hmm. somebody came and read 
took the readout on the computer and said, do you know you have about 300, 300 momentary outages in just about 10 days? And mm-hmm. you know what that does to your yeah. electrical oh, yeah. appliances. It just destroys them. So, yeah. uh, you know, I reported this, got a hold of our center and said, hey, you know, something's got to be done here. And nothing was done. But I'm still on top of it, and the best I can be, because these people are so non-responsive. And we ended up getting a generator because the power went out here so often. And because Mm -hmm. there's just a small population in the small towns, it's not a priority when the power goes off. So we quickly learned. That's why I urge people start work. If you're going to work on this politically, work at the state level, because yeah. if your state mm-hmm. rep, fifty emails, uh, phone calls say, "This is my concern. I want something done." They'll be a lot more responsive than Representative So and So in Washington D.C. Um, you know who's getting all the kickback money and everything else. State yeah. level yeah. is. So that's the place to go. Now, in in terms of approaching these people, is there some information, like do you have a website where people can pull information and say this is our situation, you need to do something about it, and it has all the right terminology and explains it so that the people in office can understand it? Well, my current website is down for redesign, but... You a great place to start if you want to go through just you know some bureaucratic language, the Congressional Report on EMP. There's been several of them. The first one I believe was in 2002. That lays it out in clear language. What will happen? What needs to be done? Congressional Report uh, Report to Congress on EMP. You can look it up. Oh, that's great. That's perfect. Thank you. There's dozens of other sites available online. Um, some of very good advice, some of it a bit extreme, but that's a good place to start. Now, in terms of this EMP actual strike, I was listening in preparation for your interview tonight to an ex-CIA mm-hmm. agent who was talking about one of the ways this would happen is that there would be some type of a cyber attack first, so we would... Yeah. Knocked out on that level would not have any warning. Is that how this might go? Yeah, one two strike. Uh, my concern, of course, the big one is EMP. Now, right, Mike. Okay, now the ten second plug for my college, Montreat College, Montreat, North Carolina. We have an exceptional cybersecurity degree program, um, bachelor's in cybersecurity. I'll go into the lab we have very high-tech modern lab, and I'll be sitting there, and the kids will say, hey, look at this, look at that. We are under constant attack. Hundreds really? and hundreds of attacks every day to hack into our systems. Some of them succeed. And one of the nightmare scenarios is what your ex-CIA friend said, to do a blunt, excuse me, you know, excuse me, too much coffee. Excuse me. Okay. <laughs> uh, too much initial attack could very well be cyber. Now, my big concern is not China or Russia, because 
in terms of an EMP, if they ever launched a strike against us with one to three nuclear weapons, we will retaliate. I am really mm-hmm. concerned about North Korea, Iran, or some terrorist state who might ah. very well one day say the heck with it. For example, suppose the nut house in North Korea finds out he's terminal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Figures, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory. I'm going to take the United States with me. He could. He could actually take the United States with him. That's the type of attack I fear. Uh-huh. That makes sense, unfortunately. Yes. Yes. So, but we are, I mean, with with students that are graduating from Montreal College and with our, that are such, obviously, you're turning out experts in this field, um, they're, they have learned how to find these cyber attacks and, and disable them. So maybe we're hopefully going to stand a chance. Well, However, we're woefully understocked. Uh, I was talking with the president of my college just a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about this. And he said the current deficit for cybersecurity, people working in cybersecurity, is over 100,000 personnel slots need to be filled. We graduated with oh 50 kids. Uh, yeah. We need How many did you graduate? We graduate about 150 people in cybersecurity now, out of a student oh population of about a. Yeah, we're a small school. Uh, we define ourselves as my college teaches the white hats to fight against the black hats, mm-hmm. and those kids go in $100,000 jobs, but we don't have enough of them. We don't. We're barely scratching the surface on what needs to be done to provide personnel to protect our country as well. Gosh. Well, it's nice yeah. to know that you have college for people to go to to learn this skill because it is an incredible skill, and I would think there would be so many young people interested in this. Maybe not, mm-hmm. but 150 people isn't going to scratch the surface when you need 100,000. Yes. Well, at least we're making now, a- Flight effort. More more programs are starting up, and I I keep telling kids, all right, you want to major in gender studies and get a job in a liquor store, or do you want to major in something real and get a hundred thousand dollar job? The choice is obvious. Oh God, yes. Yeah. Yes. Great. Absolutely. Now, we had talked a little bit before we came on the air about items that are being advertised that will Mm -hmm. supposedly protect your electronics, your car, your house, if there is a strike like this. What are your thoughts on these devices? Do they work? Are some of them really worth the money? Well, item number one, it's known as a Faraday cage, F-A-R-A-D-A-Y. Everybody has one in their house already. It's your microwave. Really? Your microwave oven is a Faraday. Yeah, look look at the glass. You're going to see a wire mesh in the glass. That blocks Uh out, well, in that case, it blocks out the potential harm that a microwave can project out to us. Things like Faraday cages, um, some people advertise solar energy systems with uh, solar panels. 
I'm not going to speak um, whether they're really good or not. I really don't research the market that much. I do get offers to endorse something. I don't endorse anything. I don't want to get mm-hmm. tied up in that. I just write the books and go out and mm-hmm. talk about them. But do some research, you know. Uh, if you have a prepper supply base near you, check it out. Check it out online. Talk to some people. See what they say. You don't need high-end ticket things. But, yeah, having a possible small solar generating system that you could at least recharge some things to go a long way. And, again, the usual, having food, stuff like that, water, medication. And that's a key thing. If you're on any kind of medication, do not do, as I often do when I'm down to one pill left, I go to the pharmacy to get a resupply. (laughs) All right. I know that one. (laughs) For those of us that have crucial medication, you don't want to be caught shorthanded. Uh, which, you know, I had somebody like that in when I was writing the books, people running out of med. Um, talk to your doctor. If you can legally get a three-month supply on hand, do it. Just stash it away and then just keep resupplying it every month thereafter. It doesn't take much to be basically prepared. <laughs> Boy, this smoke is getting to me. <clears throat> okay. I'm okay. It's just... My no, eyes right? are killing okay. me. Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, I'm just a bit rapid. It's that smoke. Well, yeah. Let's go back yeah. to the microwave when you talk about that being an actual Faraday cage. So um, if you knew an EMP was coming and you put some of your electronics in your microwave, you could preserve them, yes or no? Yes, pull the plug out. Pull the plug out. Oh, pull the okay. The plug, plug has out. to be pulled. Yeah, and... Uh, Everybody has, you know, everybody has an old microwave down in the basement. Same mm-hmm. thing. It's a Faraday kit. Or if you're wow. a do-it-yourselfer type, you can make uh, Faraday cages for, you know, not much money. But uh, having, you're, you're not going to be able to protect your car unless you're really mechanically inclined and you've got the electrons. But most cars made after about 1985, 1990 have so many computers in them that they will fry off in a major EMP attack and your car will be useless as well. Yes, exactly. uh, But talk to some experts in these particular areas. Like I said, I'm a novelist. I write about this. Uh, I'm not doing research on what is the latest product. Some of them are pretty darn good. I've seen them. Others, I'm a little bit dubious. You'll have to do the research mm-hmm. there. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. So so we basically, as a society, as a culture, we would just come to a halt because even yes. if we were to preserve our cell phones and our computers, uh, who, what do we do with them? I mean, would there still be people left to even talk to through the computer and the phone? I mean, what's the point of keeping them okay? Well, your cell phone ain't going to work. <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Because the cell phone towers are going to short off. Uh, okay, right. a funny story. Shortly after my the first book in this, One Second After, which I recommend, if you're going to read any of these books, read that one first. That, that's the basic book on it. And the others follow 
through over the next couple of years. But one evening, my daughter and I are sitting on the deck watching a thunderstorm come in, and kaboom, the whole valley from my house all the way past Asheville went dark. A major substation had been hit. My daughter looks at me, and I get a very nervous, Daddy? And I said, turn on your cell phone. <laughs> turn on. I said, your cell phone works. It's not an EMP. Well, about a minute later, one of the administrators at the college called me, and his opening line was, my God, Bill, is this it? Is this, is this an EMP? <laughs> no. <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, we're really screwed. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and then I calmed him down. I said, look, I'm just kidding with you. I don't do that. I got two or four other calls from friends like, my husband's down in the basement. He's pulling out the guns. And said, well, what's going on? I said, it's just an electrical storm. But the thing of it is, you won't know the difference other than your cell phone doesn't work. Now, imagine that. That's the whole the society with cell phones no longer work. Jesus. What do we do? Right. Especially uh, millennials. What do they do? They'll fall silent. <laughs> It'll take days yeah. to process. My cell phone doesn't work anymore. Now who do I talk to? <laughs> yeah, and how? How do I talk to them? Yeah, well, that's what I was yeah, thinking. It's like if the cell phones, the cell towers go down, then your phone, no matter, even if it's protected in a Faraday cage, it won't matter. That's right. Gee, isn't that great? <laughs> wow. It's, it's a complete wipeout. <laughs> yeah, we keep going back to that. Well, I know a lot of people think that something like this would make us come together. I don't think that's the case. I think it would make people very afraid and very desperate, and it would be rough times even, like, I would just say exponential rough times. Because, again, it's like you talk about just a few things that are needed. When people don't have water, people don't have food, they get really cranky. Uh, Where in the Berkshire? Are you near a large town or small town? Uh, see, I'm, I'm, Everything's I'm small Mexico. towns up here. I'm I'm like 45 minutes away from, uh, you know, I, I would say a, a small city. Mhm, mhm. Good. We're not near anything metropolitan. The major cities will be gone within a matter of hours. They're going to descend into chaos. You know, we think it's bad yeah. in the cities now. Well, when the bad guys wake up and realize the police aren't working, nothing's working, I can do anything I want. And secondly, in a major city, uh, well, I'll, I'll end. The, the, woman, the woman that's near Tucson, where does okay. your water come from? Okay. Well, where does your water come from? It, we you, have well gonna, water here. In yeah, my area, we have well water, but it comes comes from the major uh, flow from California through uh, Colorado, and uh, yeah. they're in fact they're they're starting to bear a bar there being any more uh, building right now in the Phoenix area in certain areas, so that tells us mm-hmm. where the water situation is coming. So we've well, got problems already. And you know, a, a moral question. You're three days in, you haven't had water in a day, 
and your daughter is saying, Daddy, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. And you go outside and you see somebody with a couple of bottles of water. How far are you willing to go to try and convince that person to give you a bottle of water, which they might not want to give away? These type of moral questions, like out of old Twilight Zone episodes, mm-hmm. are just pounding. I'm optimistic about small towns. Uh, the town I live in is about 5,000 people, about 15 miles east of Asheville. I think small towns might respond fairly well, but even then, the average town only has 20 days' worth of food on hand. That's from mm-hmm. what's pulling up in the market on a train or a truck to what's in your fridge. And all mm-hmm. that, of course, is going to three to four days. So no water, no food after 20 days, no medication. Uh, gastrointestinal illness will start breaking out in five to seven days because the, all the water supplies are polluted. Because yeah. right now the water supply gets treated before it's pushed back into the river. Well, it's just going right. to be flowing in. All our rivers will be sewers. Yeah. And, yes, that's yeah. why you need a water purification system. Mm-hmm. And they don't cost much. You know, $25 or $30, you can get a basic water filter, you know, that uh, screws onto a two-liter bottle and you treat it that way. Or even just putting some bleach into a bottle of water will taste terrible, but it purifies it. So all these factors in well, major cities will be hellholes <laughs> within five days. Yeah, you're bringing up some some valuable points that most people don't think about, and how quickly things will descend into chaos, especially in the metropolitan areas. And these cities will just implode, and yeah. the people that uh, can get out are going to want to come to places like. The, the uh-huh. mountains of North Carolina, right? And go, well, yeah. hey, we're going to see what's out there. So then you're talking about protecting what you have and all of that kind of happy stuff. So, yeah, I mean, this this whole descent into darkness is, is really, really upsetting. But it's so, I mean, it's so important that people wake up to this and start putting pressure on their senators and representatives to do something, mm-hmm. like you said, at the state level. It's like mm-hmm. people have to stop being so darn complacent and realize the risk is so high, and especially with the administration we have that doesn't care at all about us. And it's just so busy laundering money all over the world that uh, we are at high risk, very high risk. So sure. and I also want to mention that your book is wonderful because, as we discussed before, it's a very personal story. It's about real people that you brought to life on the page going through this. And, it, again, it really raises awareness. The book is so well done, and it raises a lot of awareness through story. So I want to urge everybody to read your, your books. And it's uh, – I know it's troubling. It's troubling to me. It's troubling to PK. It's troubling to all of us. But then we got to do something. We can't just sit back and think somebody else is going to take care of this. We have well, to do what we, we can. Know, the genesis of the book, I started all oh, around 2000. I, I, I was playing around with the idea of EMP for several years, but I couldn't find where 
the novel to hang it on, the story to hang it on. And mm-hmm. in 2005, uh, I was sitting at a graduation ceremony for my college. It was 90 degrees. I was roasting in my graduate robe. The graduate speaker just kept going on forever and ever and ever for 45 minutes, and I just was, please shut up, let's get this over with. And I'm looking out at the audience. I'm looking at my kids. We're a small college. I know my students. And God slapped me on the side of the head. It was like, that's the story. Write the story about my town my friends, my neighbors. Ah, so right. almost everybody in the story uh, one second after are real people. You know, change the names to protect the innocent, but these are my neighbors. Uh, mm-hmm. I interviewed my pharmacist who became a character. What would happen in your pharmacy if we lost all power? She was crying at the end of an hour. Mm-hmm. So I don't even want to think about this. Uh, the police chief, he, I remember sitting talking with him. I said, what would you do first? And he actually picked up the phone, and then he just said, you're right. <clears throat> the phones aren't going to work, are they? Now what do I do? Talk yeah. to my vet. <clears throat> deal with the medication. Here. Talk to school teachers, to the nursing home. These all became people I knew, and I just simply brought them into the book. It made writing the book very easy. Well, it's a very personal story, obviously, and it's that's why what makes it, you know, what makes it so fascinating and so relatable and so mm-hmm. scary because it is a, a definite uh, cascade of terrible events. And as a society, we're not known for coming together to help each other out. It's more like, what am I going to have to do to survive this? But what about rebuilding? Is is there a way? I mean, because you're talking about once it's gone, it's gone, and we don't have anything to rebuild with. Dr. Peter Pry, I mentioned him earlier. He was the yes. mm-hmm. guy. He's gone now, and I find more and more I'm getting stuck with, with some of the questions he used to deal with. Dr. Peter Pry originally testified that – one second after an EMT, America will be thrown back to 1870, free electrical. Huh. Well, when, I met, when I met with, with Dr. Pry for the first time, I said, I love all your work, but I'll disagree with one thing. The people who lived in 1870 knew how to live in 1870, the same way we know how to live in our society now. Pull the electricity out, you're going to have a nation mm-hmm. of people who have no idea what to do. Right. We'll be thrown back a thousand. We're going to be thrown back a thousand years and then have to rebuild. Now after five, 10, 15 years, we'll have a generation of kids that that's their world again. Don't know how to live mm-hmm. it. People are going to die because they don't know the basics of how to stay alive. You know, um, Early in the book, I have a character, he's, he's talking with the doctor, and the, and the doctor starts running down all the patients he's had within the last day. Somebody's chopping wood for the first time in years and puts an axe in his leg. Somebody Yikes. figures, oh, I'm going to and, and hunt something, and he winds up shooting his neighbor. Uh, 
we don't know how to live in that type of society. However, in small towns, at least we have a bit of a better chance of finding mm-hmm. like-minded people who together. Right. You can barter with them and, and hopefully do things like that uh, to make mm-hmm. it a little bit easier. And being in a small town that's remote is is a good idea, too. But now people that are living off the grid now, and there's a number of them, yes, they're they really ahead of the game, aren't they? Yes, they are. Uh, some of them get a bit extreme. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like they, they, they sound like, remember the old character actor, Peter Lorre? Oh, yeah. I can't, can't wait for, for the sure. And then the hell with all of that. I'll show you, you know, those type of people, they're out there, all right? I avoid them yeah. like the plague. The average <laughs> prepper, if I'm going to profile the average prepper, it's a family person. As kids, maybe grandkids, uh, there's a fair percentage, you know, are people of faith. And I always argue churches, synagogues, places like that would be an ideal place to bring a community together. And I, I was just talking with a group of ministers a couple of months ago. I said, if you went out to your congregations and said, I'm concerned about this issue. I've read this book one second after I want to do something about it. You'd be surprised how many people would then be willing to work, and we're going to have two dogs barking like crazy in five seconds because my girlfriend's pulled up, but I'm going to go into the next room. So hang on. Okay. We will wait. Oh, yes. Okay. She's here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. She's been away all day. Uh, Okay. Take them outside. I have two golden, <laughs> two golden doodles. What kind of what nuts. kind of dogs do you have? Uh, two Bill? golden doodles. Oh, uh, golden doodles. Sweet. They're really <laughs> cute, but boy, they're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, next question. <laughs> so, bringing people together uh, through these ministries is a is a wonderful thing. And and mm-hmm. I'm hoping that God forbid this ever happens that that we will stand a chance through community efforts like that. Um, but there is so much to consider, and we're just yes, bringing up is. a few things. But but this is yes. everything. So and I think the medical thing is really critical because so many people today are on multiple medications, not just one. But yep. many, not necessarily making them feel any better, but they're on a lot of medication. That, <laughs> they're out there. Right. That well, goes away or an injury happens, like you mentioned the guy with the axe, and, yeah, they're done. The uh, Okay, to, to use this like one example, about 20 to 25% of the population are on some sort of mood-altering drug, you know, be it uh, Xanax or Adderall or whatever. Consider all that gets pulled out from under you. One scary one, about one-half one to one percent of the population are on antipsychotic medication. Mm-hmm. Within about 30 days, they're going to go crazy. What yeah. about cancer medication? Uh, mm-hmm. Fair percentage of people, uh, people who have had, a, you know, a transplant. Uh, you don't take that medication every day, within a month you're going to get very sick and be gone. Mm-hmm. 
And the one that always bothered me a bit was diabetes. Um, children with severe, um, you know, first-level diabetes are going to be in very serious trouble very, very quickly because the yes. medication gone. So, yeah, there's a whole cascade of medications <laughs> or, or nursing homes. You know, what happens in a nursing home? You don't even want to think yeah. about it. It's just that's it's gone. They'll be done. There's no way to save them mm-hmm. without, you know, medication and care and and also sanitation. I mean, sanitation is going to be a huge issue. That would be nice. So, or the personnel, the personnel don't show up. You know, yeah. The, How the could they? They can't drive their car there. Can't drive their car there, and then they have to make a choice: Do I stay home because of my kids, or do I walk five miles to the nursing home? No, I'm staying home. Exactly. So when I wrote the first book, One Second After, uh, my father was fighting out the last months of his life in a nursing home, going out like an old cavalry trooper that he was. <clears throat> and I remember talking with, I remember talking to the administrator, the power goes, what happens? Well, we have the emergency generator. Well, suppose that cooks off as well if it's hardwired. What happens to my father's respirator? Mm-hmm. Well, we could use bottled right. oxygen for a while, and then, in worst case, you're going to use a squeeze ball to keep pushing oxygen into your father. And I say, in other words, when I get too tired to squeeze anymore, I watch him die. And she said, yeah, that's yeah. it. Oh, oh, dear Lord. These are, these are hard choices we don't think about mm-hmm. because we're so no. used to the normalcy that everything's going to work. Yeah, and that, like you said, there's personnel that are supposed to take care of these kinds of things, but they're not going to show up for work. So why would they? That's right. They've got their own to look after. They do. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And also, the purpose of this type of strike, you have to think about, too, what's coming next. I mean, if one of those countries that you mentioned sets this off and we are in a very vulnerable state, then what? They don't have to do anything. Seriously, once you've blown the grid, they all, all they have to do is sit back and watch. We'll, we'll devour ourselves within a matter of days. That's the scary wow. part of it. Again, 80 to 90% will die within a year, two years max. Uh, at the end of the first book, I had one, my main character talking to an Army officer who said, oh, yeah, North Korea did it to us, and we flattened them, <clears throat> to which his response was, does that change anything for us? My daughter's no. dying. My neighbors no, are dying. Doesn't. It mm-hmm. doesn't. Is retaliation morally correct even at that point? Because who are you going to kill in North Korea? The slaves that are on the surface while the leadership yeah. sits underground. Uh, your leadership is what, what you aim for, but you can't get to them. You can't. No. Uh, and right. I remember somebody fairly high-ranking in government commented to me once. He said, Bill, just trust the elite will take care of their own while the rest of us suffer. Mm, well, they're doing that now, sure. aren't they? Yeah, they sure are. They're having a great time, aren't they? Mm-hmm. That's right. So, yes, I mean, that's the elite will always take care of themselves and, and let everybody hang everybody else out to dry. 
mm-hmm. what they're known for. And yeah, yes. it's amazing that so many people don't even want to see that, but that is the truth. And the same is about looking at this possibility. As, as hard as it is, it's important that we acknowledge it. <clears throat> and thank you for writing the books, for trying to wake people up to this possibility. Well, because we do have I never to get responsible here. I never expected it to take off the way it did. Uh, I was talking to my publicity people the other day. They said we've sold over a million copies. Heck, good, I thought if good, I sold good. five copies, that would be good. But <laughs> what's happening is a lot of people are at least becoming aware that you say EMP today mm-hmm. and they know what you're talking about. Fifteen years ago, nobody knew what we were talking about. So there is progress. I'm praying in 2024 people get angry and start pushing for concrete action, not just a lot of platitudes. Yes, exactly. Now, is there any way to stop an EMP strike? Once it started, no. Uh, The delivery system, it's it's not going to be a balloon like we saw a couple of months ago. It will be an intercontinental ballistic missile. Once that thing leaves the pad, there's no stopping it. Eight to 12 minutes really? later, it will detonate. That's it. Very, okay, very little so warning. Can't, or you can't stop it. Not even time to do anything. So it can't be shot out of the ball. air. So even no. if we knew it was coming, we can't shoot it out of the sky. We might be able to intercept out on the West Coast because there's some anti-ballistic missile systems up in Alaska. But for central United States, something launched off the eastern United States and a container ship, ain't no stopping it. Once it's up, it's up, and then disaster follows. Oh, my goodness. Boy, you're having a good day with me, aren't you? (laughs) Well, but it's important, you know, Bill. It's so important what you're talking about and that you're sharing it on a very personal level in these books, and people need to wake the hell up and understand that this could happen. It's it's Mm -hmm. probable. Years mm-hmm. ago in California, and, when the children had to have their, they learned how to get under the desk for fear of what was going to be coming. Oh, was that back in the 50s? Yeah. Yeah. So you and me I remember old. having to practice old. that. old is new again, just a different form. It's just worse. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, so much the, worse. Ma'am, you know, the... The world you and I grew up in, and, you know, I don't know how old you are, but in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, yeah, it was second cover. It was the idea, you're going to throw your city busters at us, we throw city busters at you, we Mm -hmm. blow everything up, nobody wins. This is a game Mm -hmm. changer. This would mean there's three small weapons, and military people call it an asymmetrical first strike, meaning it's an unknown system that's launched, and we're not prepared for. Nearest equivalent would be on September 10th, 2001. If I had gone out in the street and said, look at those planes, you know, tomorrow could use that as a, you know, as a ballistic missile almost, they would think I was crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, the yeah. day after, everybody knew we could turn a plane into a missile. But yeah. we didn't the That's day right. before. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely true. Nobody ever thought that would happen. 
Yeah. And it did. Yeah. Yes. Your information so, is so helpful for so many. Learning to pay attention, so important. Yes. And, and I I'm like your, what be, you... Go ahead. Well, I'm not saying be obsessed about it. we we got to live our lives, you know? Of course. Um, yes. Come over, watch a movie, uh, have a glass of wine, you know. We live our lives. It's just this should be mm-hmm. somewhere in the back of your mind that this is something I have to address. Maybe I need to put a few more emergency supplies in. Never right. going to hurt to have them. Yes, and it's such a good idea what you suggested that when you just go to the grocery store the next time, spend $20 on canned items, bring them home, store yeah. them, and then you've started to prepare. So that makes so much sense on so many levels, even not even thinking about an EMP, but just to have some extra food right. available. I mean, look at all these yeah, processing plants important. that were blown up out of yeah. nowhere. You go in the supermarket now and the canned food aisle, not many people there, and there's sales, three cans for a buck. You know, just stock up. It doesn't exactly. take all that much. No, it doesn't. And then, Water is the other thing. Make sure you have a clean water source here through, I mean, a little filter system, but also stockpile some water in your house. Yeah. And amongst other things, if you got time, fill up your bathtub. Mm. You know why? Right. Well, you need water to flush the toilet, don't you? Mm-hmm. As long yes, as you got you water in the bathtub, you can still take care of that necessary chore. Little things yes. like that that we don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we've gotten so soft, and we don't think about oh, things like sure. this, but we need to. We really, really need to. This is, yes. Phil, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much for Definitely. coming on the show. It's This has been enlightening, and your books are wonderful, so everybody should go and read your first book, your second book, your third book. I mean, there's so much to pay attention to, and like you said, you made us a personal story about your own town. So the name of your first book is One Second After, is that it? Yes, ma'am. Okay, One Second After, you said start there. The The one that we yeah. were sent is Five Years After. So oh, those are the books... <laughs> <laughs> those are the books to look for, everybody. <laughs> look for those books. Get them on Amazon or wherever your local bookstore is and read them so that you get your awareness where it needs to be about this. And then contact your senators and representatives. Tell them to get off their fat rear ends and do something instead of pushing papers around their desk and collecting a salary, which is what I think ours are doing. So anyhow, it's time yeah. to start putting some pressure on. And but yes. we're, we're too silent. We've been too silent on especially this. So again, yes. your your presence here on the show, Bill, you have no idea how much we appreciate this. It means the world Definitely. to us because we like our audience to be informed and we like our audiences to be proactive and get involved. So thank you very much, and we do hope to see this on the big screen or little screen sometime. Oh. Uh, it would be oh. a great great movie. It really would, and it would help so many people to understand what we've become understanding of tonight. Thank you. Thank you. And hopefully a year from now we'll be able to see something on the big screen. And as always, God bless the United States. 
because we need it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be back next week, everybody, with another great show. We have Kay. She is coming back, Medical Intuition. And we're going to be talking about other things, too, remote viewing of properties and more. So be sure to join us next week. Until then, we will see you on the Blue Highway. Good night, everyone. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural.